You're listening to Tasting Together with Maroki Tong and Andre Fruit. It's the most wonderful time, time of the year. You said just you just said stressful time. Stressful time. Why is it stressful? Because most likely I do not have all my gifts purchased, and I have to coordinate all the family gatherings. Oh yeah, and, that does suck. And yeah, yeah. But I, I want it to be the most wonderful time of the year. I do it all in the expectation of it being a wonderful time of the year. So, um, on my side, I'm the person that everybody hates. Um, because this goes back to like when I was working in radio, not making a lot of money. And especially now that I've got young nephews, um, I always wanted to make sure that I could send something under the Christmas tree for them. So, I normally start my Christmas shopping in June. You know what? That's and, some good planning. And it's usually finished in August, and then it's scratching the the like the packing and everything and getting it off closer to Christmas. Although, like full disclosure, now that I have baby wee baby Spencer, this year was more chaotic. And my wife, who is still on mat leave, is um, she's the one who did most of the, like Christmas wrapping and Christmas mailing. But you know what? Um, you got to partake in one of my favorite Christmas traditions this morning, right before we hit record. You were doing some work at my home in Hamilton. Yes. And you said you needed a snack. Yes. And I offered you a piece of frozen Christmas baking. You did. You called, what were they called? Peanut butter confetti. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck is peanut butter confetti? It's white people food. And I, I will say, um, after tasting, it was delicious, by the by. Um, I'm no shade there, but it is truly white people food. And I say, I, I think the um, colorful marshmallows is the <laughs> indicator there. Okay. So I just want to fill you in and the listeners in on a Christmas tradition because this is something that's really important to me and my brother. And I just want to know your thoughts. And because and, I, I think it's quite funny, but it's actually really true at this point. My mom is a fierce baker. And she, that, that's one of the things where in, when the family recipes come out, there's no way I could ever improve my mom's gingerbread recipe and some of the cookie recipes. And I spent a lot of time like working on family recipes, trying to make them better, whatever. Um, but my mom would start her Christmas baking early, like mid-November, early December, and she would freeze it all. And my household was me, my dad, my brother, and my mother. So is she freezing it all because she's trying to preserve it? Or yeah, she's she- trying to save it for the right moment. And here's the thing is like once me and my brother and, you know, my dad, once me and my brother were teenagers, we were just sort of like... There's no point? We're sneaking. We would oh. sneak the Christmas baking. So we would have these tins, these Christmas tins filled with Christmas baking. I still remember this one thing. One of my mom's specialties is peanut butter balls. So it's it's like Rice Krispie peanut butter dipped in dark chocolate. They're delicious. And she made a batch that must have been about two dozen, 24 of them. And I remember on Christmas Day when she finally pulled the tin out of the freezer, there were six Christmas balls, like six peanut butter balls left in the tin. And they were strategically <laughs> placed so that they were all like evenly spread out like, over no, the tin. No one ate the tin of, of peanut butter balls But that's all. the thing is we all thought we were the only ones sneaking the baking. And when it turns out it was all of us. But <laughs> as a result of all of this, me and my brother and my dad, we all prefer the Christmas baking Frozen. Oh, frozen. Okay. <laughs> I, you know what's funny? I, I, I was wondering where you were trying to go with the story. And at first, when you were talking about why you preferred, the, why it was always frozen, 
I didn't think it was as something as logical as preserving it. It's just, but it's like it does, it is, yeah. and and it's just the experience of you guys sneaking food. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but like now, as a result, me and my brother is it's just like we, we, we we've talked about how we're going to assemble my mom's um, Christmas baking like recipes at some point for posterity for the family, and um, my brother has the perfect title for the book. We're going to call it "Bake It Nice and Put It on Ice." <laughs> I'm here for it. Well. Um, there's a whole other reason why we are talking about the most wonderful time of the year, despite it being really, really stressful. And for me, because you know, I was talking about coordinating with family, everyone's coming to town, but it's also time for us to connect with all the people we love and hang out. And so coming back on Tasting Together, guess who's also on the line with us today? Is it Santa? Santa! It is Santa. Oh my God. It is none other than Global Newsroom's Danny Longo. Hey guys, how's it going? It's so good to talk to you. We're so excited to have you back, Danny. I, I know when we were planning Not the show. Not as excited as I am. <laughs> we literally oh. planned the show. I put it. I put a note in there. I was like, hey, do we want to bring back Danny? And and Andre wrote in the spreadsheet right away in all caps, we miss Danny. And we, we've we missed oh, you guys. indeed. I think I oh. wrote F yes as well. but this... I, I'm sure there was a lot of different <laughs> joyous profanities that were written in, in, the, in the spreadsheet. Man, we haven't talked to you in three months, Danny. Um, the question I... I the, the, the normal human in me wants to say, how are you doing? But the real question we actually care about is, what have you been drinking, Danny? What have I been drinking? Well, uh, I've been drinking a few things. I love, I love, love, love going. This time of the year is my favorite time of the year to go to the LCBO. And there are so many things. Uh, what have I been drinking? Well, I was sick for a little while, so I wasn't drinking anything for about a month. Oh, man. Um, yeah, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. It was just a cold, but, uh, you know, I was taking some uh, antibiotics and stuff, so you don't want to mix that kind of stuff. So, um, But, yeah, I, I've been uh, to the LCBO a few times, and I just love everything. I'm, I'm such a sucker for all the gift packs and, like, anything anything that they sell at this time of year. <laughs> so I've been trying a bunch of new stuff. Um, so a couple of different... Uh, I've, been, I've been on an uh, Argentinian Malbec... Uh, thing. Oh, someone's been keeping up with tasting together while we oh, parted yes. ways. <laughs> it's almost like we launched a podcast with Wines of Argentina. And you were listening. Yes, I did, actually. You know, that kind of uh, subliminally um, like got me uh, thinking in that direction. So yeah, I've been trying a few things um, there. Um, I always love like gift packs when they, you know, pair a couple of bottles. And, you know, it's not really for me because I have way too many glasses and knickknacks, but I do love a good like pairing of like a couple of glasses with with your favorite, you know, whiskey or your favorite wine or whatever. So, yeah, I've been trying a bunch of stuff and I I definitely love to have um, all kinds of different spirits and liqueurs at this time of year. Rum Chata, those commercials are just uh, they've gotten to me. So I have to try that kind of stuff. Bailey's, you know, any kind of Irish cream. Do you do all the do you do all like the flavored Baileys? I feel like they've gotten like so whack with some of their flavors over the years. We actually bought the gingerbread. I think it was Baileys gingerbread Baileys, or no, it was a Kahlua. It was a gingerbread Kahlua, and it was outstanding. And I'm not a huge gingerbread fan, but uh, yeah, gingerbread, any kind of seasonal candy cane. Who you hurt you? <laughs> Who hurt? Yeah. I don't understand how anybody can't be a fan of gingerbread. It's like the perfect Christmas. Like, what tastes more like Christmas than gingerbread, except maybe candy canes? Yeah, I was gonna say like candy canes no, I, or eggnog. I I'll still oh. eat it. I'm not a. I'm not a, a lunatic. You know. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. 
Mur- Muroki just dropped dropped eggnog. First off, were there oh, any no. of the like gift packs in particular you wanted to shout out, Danny? Like just like what you were picking up at your house? One thing I I've gotten for for other you know family friends. Um, I really like the tequila rose um strawberry cream uh gift pack because it comes with a couple of shot glasses oh cool these cute little cute little shot glasses and also um if you're a fan of uh dan Aykroyd's uh crystal skull vodka they had one with a little crystal skull um shot glasses as well i don't know if i saw that this year but i got that a couple of years ago and that was a a pretty cool one too all right, for for the wine lovers here, because I know, oh, Maroki, you're already putting your hand up. I didn't even ask a question about whether or not raise your hand if you're a wine lover at Christmas. <laughs> but one of the gift packs that uh, that I tasted, so I, I wrote the Toronto Life gift guide again this year um, with Excellent. with Michael Pincus, and they, uh, as of the day we're recording this, only the best gift wines came out. This was the only gift pack that I really loved. It's um, the 2020 Castelli del Grevapesa Clemente 7. I know that's a mouthful. Just go to torontolife.com and check it out. It's a two-pack of Tuscan wines that, you know, often with a lot of the gift packs, like, you'll get one wine that's good and the other one that isn't, or, like, you know, just kind of, like, a really not great knickknack. <laughs> we thought the box was really good. I actually I haven't read the gift guide yet this year, probably because I wasn't there to actually partake in the uh, the crafting of the gift guide. So the incentive is lower, but that's okay. I was in Hong Kong. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no hard feelings. Um, I guess like, yeah, I, I'm trying to think about wine gift guides. I actually have not stepped into the LCBO very much this season so far. Most of it, most of the reason why uh, being out of country, I don't generally buy gifts for other people. Um, from the LCBO, I'm a little bit, I, I guess like I get really persnickety about things. It's like, it's like, ooh, this looks really cute and shiny. And then that, that extremely pragmatic part of me kicks in. I'm like, but do they actually need another glass? Like you said so yourself, Danny, like one thing I, I, I will fully, uh, um, admit and some of my friends and family who's ever gifted me in the past, I am, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't mean to make, I don't mean to be, um, throwing shade or tea at the gifts you've gotten me but when i get yet another like cor- wine opener corkscrew gadget thing or when i get yet more wine glasses that are not specifically the ones i'm looking to add to my very tiny condo space i'm often like dang i i'm thankful because i get that you're trying to think uh you know you've thought about me for for the gift but this is not practical, and just because I love wine doesn't mean I need every single wine tchotchke out there. So you, you, you know, I, I do think there is something about like level of experience that goes with that because I remember being at the Danny phase where like I loved getting just additional wine glasses, and like that's the thing is when you have brands that you love, like there's no. But Danny up, but... said he wouldn't get those glasses for himself. No, he yeah, likes not getting for it for other yeah, people. Shelf space oh. is at a premium. Yeah, he definitely can't. Uh, well, Danny, don't do that. Other more... people, no, then don't do it, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm like probably gifting it to Morogi. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Danny's like, it's that whole I'm living vicariously through other people. Well, right? and that's it. You you guys all know, and I don't know if the listeners know this, but like I have a bucket in my kitchen for corkscrews, like a literal bucket. So like when you're sending Andre a corkscrew, it's getting used eventually, but it's gone in the bucket. It's going in the bucket. Well, okay. That's fair. So so early so pulling oh wait, should we pull away from wine and go back to eggnog? Because I, I love eggnog. And since we were all talking about horchatas and gingerbread Kahluas, I feel like eggnog is such a polarizing drink. 
for a lot of people. Like, there's people who it's like a love it or hate it. No, oh, I'm, I'm a love it. I'm a love and, it. And I'm a love it, too. Daniel, are you a love it or are you a hate it? Uh, I am a it depends because sometimes... <laughs> Same guess, answer. Yeah, it depends because I've had some eggnogs that I absolutely love and then I've had some that I think are just terrible. <laughs> what like what, it what makes nice. them terrible? I want to know what makes them terrible uh, I'm because really... I'm so forgiving of eggnog. The only time it's these days where I'm a little bit more uh, finicky is if it's overly sweet. But yeah, I'm, but I I'm very forgiving of eggnog. Yeah, I think overly sweet does not do it for me. Um, it really, it really depends. If you're uh, buying a pre-packed one, I guess usually those tend to be a little too sweet for me. Like sometimes people make it themselves, and it's just like I don't know what people are putting in these things. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Maybe too much alcohol, you know. Well, Danny, it's eggs. Yes, I like <laughs> eggs. I, I, I like eggnog. My mo- my mother used to make, I guess. I guess an alcohol-free eggnog that I would that I would drink all the time, and I loved it as a kid. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a part of me, you know, nostalgia and all that. But yeah, I haven't had one lately that I've, I've really enjoyed, to be honest. I um I I love eggnog, but due to my lactose intolerance, oh, it's God. usually something that mm-hmm. I take very few and far in between. And I will say, I'm extremely grateful for some of those alternative milk companies out there. I Real think key. it's so good who released a soy-based uh, eggnog. Maroki, I actually have something for you in my fridge. And Danny, I'm sorry, you're not here to enjoy it with us because uh-huh. it's actually one of the products that uh, I'm recommending in the spirits column for Toronto Life. And I forgot you were lactose intolerant. Vodkow. So, it's lactose-free, yes. I learned. And I have the Vodkow eggnog in my fridge because <gasps> it was one of the oh. it was one of the only like pre-made cocktails that when we did the tasting of so we, we wrote a, a column on Canadian-based cocktails and sorry, Canadian-based spirits. So a lot of rye whiskey, a lot of Canadian whiskey. Um slight heads up. If you go East Coast, West Coast, Signal Hill and Bareface, one's from Newfoundland, one's from BC amazing canadian whiskey coming to the shelves if it's not already there but the vodka eggnog is lactose free and friggin delicious and i'm gonna pour you a glass as soon as we hang up oh my god i want it so much okay 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 i I have a bottle of vodka in my fridge but i didn't know they made an eggnog oh now you're gonna look for it 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 might be a christmas gift for someone that sounds great okay so before we let you go danny this is the time of year that i save my choice bottles for i don't know do you guys save choice bottles for the holidays or are you like choice bottles or whatever I- i'm just curious do either of you have like a choice bottle that you're really just saving to open over the holidays danny you go first yeah no i do definitely always open like i have uh i have a wine rack in my house and the bottom shelf is essentially which is which is backwards i understand but the bottom shelf for me is where the most expensive bottles are and usually around this time of year i will definitely take a bottle from the bottom shelf and open it like on Christmas Eve or on Christmas. Okay, but what's the what, what's the bottle? What's the bottle? What's the twenty twenty three bottle? I don't know. I don't know what the tw- I haven't I haven't decided yet. But if, if I have to choose, I I, had, I know I have a, a Cesare Amaroni. Um, I think it's an Italian um, red that I will probably I will probably open a, a deep expensive red. That sounds like Christmas or wine to some me. Some kind of Meritage, yeah. Okay, your okay. turn, Maroki. Okay, so my fa- like I said, my family's gathering, and my family. They, I think they love what I do, but they also are, like roll their eyes at what I do when I kind of get too intense mm-hmm. about stuff. And the thing is, is that none of them um, really appreciate wine quite as much as I do in spite of their curiosity of it. And a number of my family members um, are allergic to alcohol. So it's something that's just, it's just not very uh, present in their minds. But 
I, I think sometimes like I don't know maybe the the Asian child Maroki needs like the validation of her family and just needs to make sure I pull out the absolute most interesting and cool things to just show it with the deep fear in my heart that I'm gonna open it and I'm yet gonna hear from my father telling me oh this red wine tastes the same as white wine and then I cry and die a little inside <laughs> so, uh, sounds uh, like the holidays to me yeah so this year I have a um a a side by side. I have a series of Thomas Batchelder's Gamay's from twenty from his twenty nineteen vintage oh. that I purchased a couple years back, and I always wanted to open them all at once because I wanted to do a side by side tasting, but I never really had the opportunity to share it with a whole bunch of other. Like I need a reason to open three bottles, let's say, instead of corvening it. So this might be a night opportunity. And I'm also thinking we do have a dinner at R&D, another of Chef Alvin Lung's, his Toronto-based restaurant uh, later on uh, next week. And I found out their corkage there is 35 bucks. So Where was my invitation? To mm. family visit, Andre. I have to be. I ha- it, it, you, uh, uh, put on the spot. All right, what um, are you bringing? What are you bringing? What are you bringing for wine? So I'm not sure yet, but I think I'm going to bring a magnum of something so that there's like the spectacle of size. Because I think my family has never really experienced having a magnum opened and pouring one. So I don't know which magnum it's going to be, but it's going to be a magnum. Christmas is when I get to the Magnums. Um, I have a small collection separate from my main collection with about, I guess I'm, I'm up to about two dozen Magnums. And I guess for people not in the know, a Magnum is just a one and a half liter bottle of wine. And the people I tend to buy Magnums from will say things like, this is the size a real wine bottle should be. <laughs> and it's like, I get that. Um, if, if you can find a nice Magnum, oh, one that's a hot tip for, for both of you, uh, La Volta del Ornalaya. It's the third wine from Ornelia, which is one of the top tier Super Tuscans. It comes in Magnum at the LCBO. I've actually, it, I've been collecting these. So that's one of the Magnums that might work its way up from a back vintage. But it's like $65 for a one and a half liter that's actually a pretty good bottle deal for of really good Italian wine. It's their entry level. So it's not, it's not likely going to blow anybody's mind. But in terms of quality and price, it's just a nice thing to have for the holidays. Good tip. Good well, tip. Danny, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thank you for joining us. Will you come talk to us again at some time in the new year? Absolutely. I would love to. All right. Well, make sure. Anytime you you guys want me, just uh, (laughs) ring me on the bat line and I will be there. All right, we'll put out the signal we'll for you. Signal. Yeah, yeah we'll put out the signal. And if all our listeners love hearing Danny Long come back, make sure you let us know on socials too. Now everybody listening knows that Danny Longo is in fact Batman. How nice is it to be joined by Batman at Christmas? Oh, we forgot to ask Danny the follow-up question. If Batman does, in fact, smell at this time of year. Oh. It's it's Toronto. There's always going to be a smell, and it's going to smell like (laughs) raccoon. (laughs) Um, Anyways, like, speaking of this year, I I think, like, since we've moved from radio to podcast, like, we've really stepped up our game in terms of, like, eating out and finding some fantastic places to visit. And... um, I think a lot of people have been talking about how the food scene in Hamilton has really begun to transform and become a destination. I think, like, everywhere, whether we're going west on the 401 or on the 403, like, there's just the food scene 
we, we don't have to drive an hour and a half to Toronto anymore. I mean, I live in Toronto now, but when I was a kid, I grew up in Kitchener. But a long time ago, we used to drive out of town if we wanted to go eat good Chinese food, per se. Yeah. And now a lot of these cities are really coming into their own. And becoming destinations in their own right. Absolutely. And, 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 and this one almost felt serendipitous because when you and I went on a little brewery tour across Hamilton yes. uh, a, a oh, couple yeah. of months ago... I don't. I didn't think I was gonna discover a cool new restaurant opening it up and actually becoming reasonably good friends with the with the purveyors. It's it's such a pleasure to sit down with these people. Uh, my wife and I went there for dinner the week that they opened, and you know, there's something about getting really great hospitality, which we've talked about on the show a lot. There's something about getting really great food, but when you have the head oyster shucker holding your infant child so that you and your wife can enjoy one of the courses coming out i think that takes hospitality to another level that any guidebook on the planet can't match and i am so thrilled that we were joined by the team at Maisie's pearl in hamilton maroki andre <laughs> we're in the same location we are in the same location it's super super exciting it's always a rare occurrence and a wonderful occurrence when we get a chance to record in the same room together and with our guests to boot that's right. Uh, you came down the QEW. And the 403. To uh, East End Hamilton. This is East End Hamilton, right? I even I even paid for the 407 to get here quickly. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's... Even- that's how much I want to be here. <laughs> um, so we've been talking a lot about like the, uh, the places that we've eaten over the past couple months. And um, you racked up the Michelin stars in, uh, in Hong Kong. Yes. Um, but one of my favorite places that I ate uh, in Hamilton was Maisie's Pearl. I'm really thrilled that we're getting the chance to talk with Kat Ellis, who's the chef at Maisie's Pearl, and David Burns, who's the, as he calls himself, just the oyster shucker at Maisie's Pearl today, because this is a specific topic that I've been really interested in a while, and I've been actually having conversations on again and off again with different people about it, which is the concept of, oysters like i love oysters but i've learned over time that i can't just order any oysters because i don't actually love all oysters and that there's a a specificity to oysters in the same way people can like oak charnay or un oak charnay or prefer or someone who prefers warm climate full-bodied reds as opposed to someone who likes cool climate crunchy reds I, i think it even goes further than that when i came here for the meal i got a short master class david that you're going to uh, recreate for the listeners here is that very much with oysters the concept of terroir is front and center that things taste like where they come from and you know you got right down into the nitty-gritty about where stuff comes from what are brand names what aren't and i hope we're gonna unpack that but it's something for me we're on a top level i know for my restaurant experiences i love west coast oysters because they're generally big and meaty oh and i, I love- like east coast oysters because i learned that i like them very like clean and briny, and, briny. And, and, yeah. and i know that when i go to france i'm always a little disappointed because those oysters have a really strong metallic flavor for the most part although recently i was in burgundy yes i'm dropping that again although i probably should stop because it's been like seven months since i was there but had some good oyster experiences but i know there's a long preamble but thank you both very much for giving us the time letting us set up in you know hamilton's newest and greatest seafood restaurant oh, we appreciate it thank you for having us so maybe 
um, we can go right into what Andre was preparing you for, David, and kind of schooling us a little bit on the sense of place for an oyster. And if someone is coming into Maisie's Pearl, if someone says, like, I, I like oysters or I'm interested in oysters, like, how do you educate them? Or if they're like, I'm just starting to taste oysters and I don't really understand them that much. I just know I like them. Well, how do you make sure that they can now deep dive or go to the next step in their pun? oyster tasting was that, a, was that an ocean pun, deep dive? I love it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, we... Uh, so, I mean, one of the reasons why um, I we started this business in Hamilton was to educate the community and the population on oysters, where they come from, uh, kind of the do's and don'ts, common misconceptions, flavor profiles, all that stuff. And uh, you two being, you know, extensive wine background, you talk about terroir, we talk about marowar, so different bodies of water, uh, what the oyster is feeding on, um, you know, there could be more freshwater inlet, there could be more farm runoff, um, they could be harvested in eelweed or whatever, and that all has to do with the flavor profile of the oysters. So, uh, you know, when you come into the restaurant here, my my kind of questions are, you know, what don't you like about oysters? You know, and that's, you know, typically people will say, you know, uh, we, we prefer the West Coast or we prefer the East Coast. Uh, we like this, we like that. And then I kind of get into my thing where I'm like, wow, you know, you gave me some good good things here. And uh, this is where we can go from there. So, you know, like Andre would just said, he likes oysters big and meaty from the West Coast, which big and, uh, big and meaty oysters is is a matter of how long the oyster has stayed in the water. Typically, a, a West Coast product, because they feed all year round, is an 18 to 24-month uh, oyster, um, being very young, I would say. And uh, I personally don't think that they are big and meaty. Now, having said that, in summer months where they hold on to their spat and their spawn, they do become a little bit meatier, but then they also become a bit creamier. And you do get those you know, uh, uh, fresh-cut grass, uh, cucumber melon notes, which people really love. You're talking about France, the metallic notes. You know, uh, the French consume a third of the population's oysters in three months of the year. But, (laughs) you know, those metallic notes, they pretty much only put on a very classic French mignonette. Red wine vinegar, shallot, black pepper, and lemon. All that does is the acid cuts the salinity, opens up the flavor, and helps complement that metallic note, which I also love. Um... You know, and then you like the East Coast oysters because you find them to be cleaner. Now, you're probably gravitating towards the East Coast of Canada where we do have much cleaner water, a little bit sweeter flavor profile, I find. Um, where in the United States, a little bit dirty water, no offense. And uh, I gravitate <laughs> towards that because I find them to be bigger, bolder, and brinier. Uh, I really love the high salinity notes uh, when it comes to, to oysters. And again, going back to the size and the meatiness of them, it all depends on how long they've been in the water. One oyster filters 50 gallons of water a day. And then, uh, like, you know, East Coast oysters go dormant for three, six months, whatever the, the Mother Nature says. Um, so they don't feed. So once the water temperature drops, they start to bulk up. Right now, it is oyster season, so everything should be big and meaty. Um, but, I mean, having said all that, it's all a matter of how long the, 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 the product has set in the ocean for. Just because this isn't going to be released right the day that we did this, you say it's oyster season right now. How long does 
oyster season last when you're talking about the east coast oysters so when when so uh you know they're still bulking up they're still feeding up a lot of uh, the oyster farmers still have their 95 percent of oysters are farmed um they still have them in trays and racks and cages and uh they basically have them in these flotation devices sort of um in these trays and racks that feed in the first like inch two inches of water that's where all the the warmer water is you know from the sun and whatever all the algae plankton phytoplankton what they're feeding on is on that top of the water um so they're bulking up on that and then when the ice comes in they sink those cages those floating racks and whatever to the bottom of the ocean so that they don't freeze and uh so now they've stored up all of that really good fat depending on when the uh the ice comes in and they actually stop feeding would depend on how long the oyster season will go for um just for for you know your common knowledge or whatever i usually say late december mid-january um from what i'm hearing on the news and the radio we're not supposed to get a you know a very cold uh and and snowy icy um weather weather uh forecast until later in january so they'll probably be good until you know mid-february they'll still be showing like a november december oyster right in the heart of like oyster season i would say uh but again it could change overnight literally with you know the ice come in and and then oh basically when they sounds, eat, sounds yeah. like a great pick i can hear like the great picking like wine people screeching when they talk about when you Seasons changing the volatility. Oh, mm. well, for me, it's just like as the the, the resident Saskatchewanian that moved to Ontario to get away from the weather. I love me the sound of a mild and snow-free winter. So <laughs> that's music to my ears. I think this is um. You were we you know when we, we got into a really um a really good a really intense overview of oysters or sense of place and not only that but just like agriculturally how they work and their light and like their their various cycles and their lifespan how that affects the final flavor but one thing you brought up david was talking about the mignonette sauce that's paired with oysters in france and this is probably a question where cat your expertise is going to come in here because i know one of the conversations we had and when we first met was what uh, accompaniments do you pair with oysters and how do you do in a way that showcases the oysters well without obliterating it which i know would it would be a huge sore point to anyone who adores a great oyster yeah um i am pretty subtle i just like lemon and we always encourage people to sort of try it that way first um just because you're gonna cover it up with all of the goodness and the sauces are good and they're great and everything else but we want people to really come here because they embrace that like natural taste so we try to not get too fancy and everything is really classic um and we don't want to do anything too crazy or wild there's always a place for that for maybe a special feature here or there um but classic is always best and even that like so minimal um so we don't do anything fancy with it to be honest it it is really classic so when you say you don't do anything fancy what are the accompaniments that Maisie's pearl serves with their oysters here just mignonette and lemon we have our house made hot sauce which is david's recipe it burns like fire it's phenomenal and really great and horseradish and uh, cocktail sauce we also also make here north american uh accoutrement um you know ketchup uh prepared horseradish we actually cut it pretty hard with uh tabasco um so it's more tangy than sweet and and going back to what kat was saying like we do keep it classic we do keep it traditional we want our guests to enjoy the flavor profiles of the oyster and everything they have to offer um our kind of two cents is like you know if you if you think that you enjoy oysters 
and 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 you know the first thing you ask for is when we present them to you is the sauces i would typically just look for the cheapest oyster on the menu uh, order as many of those as you want and do whatever you want to them. But our sauces are all, you know, accoutrements. A little bit goes a long way. Um, you don't want to overpower any of the flavor of the oyster because, you know, going back to the, the grapes and the, and the terroir and the marowar of the oysters, um, each oyster, because they filter so much water, has a totally different flavor profile. Now, it can be from, from you know, our oyster bed could be, where we're sitting right now and and wildcat across the street could have another oyster bed and the flavor profile will be completely different so we want our guests to experience that you know difference in 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 uh in in taste as opposed to just masking it with our lovely sauces so, so but, but that's the thing though is you've kind of created a, a catch 22 and first off you name dropped wildcat wildcat is a, a, a deliberate dive bar in hamilton that is run by um one of the alumni from archive in toronto so if you're looking for a place of the great vibe there's a lot to come to in hamilton not just Maisie's, but you should come here to eat some oysters what I ate here, though, there's the catch-22, though, because your sauces are not grocery store sauces. You make everything from hand, with love, in here. So you're telling me that I shouldn't want the accoutrement, but when I walk into a place and I find out that all the accoutrement is handmade and made with love, I want to try it. Yes. So- my, my two cents is uh, we, we offer bread service for when you sit down, and uh, we, we love telling the story that we smuggle in some uh, butter from Prince Edward Island, some salted butter. Do we love it- telling that story? Well, I, I love telling it. I think it's pretty fun. I always love a good story. So, uh, you know, when we, when we introduce the, uh, the accoutrements, uh, I always suggest maybe try them with a bit of the bread that we offer you before you put it on an oyster. And they are very good sauces, and they are very traditional and classic. And we don't get crazy with them, like Kat was saying. Um, I find that when you know people do the the champagne vinegars and then start adding cucumber and, and all these other notes to it, pink peppercorns, whatever, um, I find that that flavor kind of takes away from the actual experience of the oyster in its natural form. Where, like, you know, when we when we spoke about what we're going to offer for accoutrements, and we've been doing this for you know five six years now, it was always simple classic traditional a little bit of acid goes a long way helps open up the flavor you still get the taste of the oyster my hardest one is actually the cocktail sauce it's a ketchup base uh i dislike ketchup very very much um but it's a huge north american staple so you know we offer it for the people that enjoy it and there's no judgment um no judgment out loud. I always judge in my head for sure. But, uh, and then, yeah, and then we have this beautiful Caribbean style hot sauce that uh, we also make. And, and you're, yeah, I mean, Andre, you said it. We make them with love, and we make them the way that we would want to eat them ourselves. And we would never just make anything just because. We always do things that with hot intent. Sauce. That now hot sauce some. was so well. Know, it it is so well put together. Okay, so this is actually going to almost go in another direction with oysters because we're talking about ex- enjoying oysters and it's pure form with as little manipulation and intervention on it as possible let's go to the other side with like oyster po'boys and I, I I just looked on the website and I don't see the oyster po'boy on the menu so maybe I'm going to no. create a demand and suddenly you're going to be obligated <laughs> to make a bunch of oyster po'boys cat but yeah. I remember having this um, having it at the pop-up at um uh, Barrel Heart. Uh, Heart Brewing Brewery a little while ago, and it was so delicious. But obviously, this is now taking oysters in the complete opposite direction. Let's just like deep fry it, present it, and 
instinctively, I think sometimes when I'm used to consuming something in a certain way, like oysters, mostly served fresh. When I see something like oysters, Rockefeller or oysters, po' boy, I'm thinking... Which is like weirdly making like a big comeback. Like I remember reading an oyster Rockefeller recipe and it was like banished to like the memories of menus past and now it's like popping up places. So when you make choice, like when you decide to make, um, when you decide to cook the oysters, I so to say, I'm assuming the sourcing is different. And then, and I guess like as someone who loves oysters in its raw purest form, what's your take on it in making it in an extremely cooked and manipulated form? Yeah, that's an interesting topic of discussion. Um, I think there's space at the table for everything. I, I think that if you're going to cook it, it better be damn good because it's already good by itself, raw, open the shell, good to go. Um, so we're pretty selective when it comes to putting those hot oyster items on the menu. We've bounced around a lot of different ideas. Trust we talk me, about a it a lot. lot. We talk yeah. about it a lot. A lot of them don't make the cut. And I think it's just one of those things where we want to provide that education first and have fun later. You know, once people are sort of used to trying them like this, then maybe expanding a little bit more. Um, I obviously love all ends of the cooking spectrum of the culinary world. I love them raw. I love them hot. Um, Sourcing-wise, like, I think that they should be sourced the same, and we honestly don't source them from anywhere different. Um, if I buy an oyster from the grocery store, I'm in trouble, okay? So. Yeah, she did get in trouble for that. <laughs> I have literally got in trouble for this. So, uh, you know, we use the same, like, amazing quality oysters that we serve to everybody raw, even when we do cooked, and then we, we're just going to shuck them, do, like, fresh to Do order. you have a different oyster that is, like, this is a cooking oyster versus uh, yeah. an eating oyster? So, uh, so yeah. Sorry to interrupt. This is what I've, I've been trying to... Kat and I, we, we talk an awful lot together and we love these conversations and it's hard for us to interrupt because once we start going, we can't stop. So I was looking for a, a quick space to get in there uh, with with the Rockefeller and the Po' Boys and stuff like that. So going back to like our whole kind of idea and our menu and everything that we're doing is classic, traditional. We don't really... Uh, steer outside of that and because the quality of our product especially i mean all of our product from start to finish is very high quality very very good um typically with oysters rockefeller and po' boys and stuff like that um those were classic in new orleans where you're on the gulf and those oysters are warm water oysters and they grow at an exceptional rate so a 10-year-old East Coast Canadian oyster is the same size as a 12-, 18-month Gulf oyster because they're feeding so much. And again, going back to filtering 50 gallons of water a day, um, the only way to make things like that edible and, and even referencing Southern barbecue, like all the you know crappy cuts of meat and they have to smoke it for 16 hours same thing with the with the po' boy is that these oysters are massive um when they're heated they shrink and you know you deep fry them you put a nice remoulade on them pickles all the things on a nice french bun it, it tastes amazing but we don't have that that issue where we are in the quality of the product that we get so for us to do uh you know a Rockefeller or a po' boy or something like that it it it's good and we love it and it's delicious, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to put such a high quality oyster on our menu that's just completely masked. Um, you know, and like like Kat said, we have discussions 
all the time on when we're going to do it, what we're going to do. We are more or less in the in the position now. We just opened up. We want people to enjoy all the things that we have on our menu now, and 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 you know you know um, uh, have these offerings, and then later on, you know, when we get into like. You know, February, March, April, when oyster season kind of starts to really take a decline, um, then we would probably order in something much bigger and and then showcase those options, I suppose. Where, you know, we can have, you know, po' boys and Rockefeller and stuff like that. So you threw a little bit of shade at grocery store oysters, which is fine, but if I'm a home cook and I I want to pick up some oysters... It, should I be avoiding grocery store oysters if I really want to be, I guess, respectful of the quality of what I'm serving my family and friends? And if that's the case, where would I go to get high quality oysters? Okay, so other than other than Maisie's Pearl in well, Hamilton, I mean, yeah, always come to us because we re, we do retail, we do wholesale. Uh, basically, how our business started, you know, pop ups, wholesale, retail, all that stuff. Um, we don't hold you over the coals for uh, for our product being as high quality as it is. It is a little bit more expensive than the grocery store stuff. Um, having said that, there's nothing wrong with getting oysters from a grocery store or you know uh, a, a market of. Some some sort. My two cents and my theory on that is, um, you know, if you go to uh, um, like a big box grocery store, we won't name names. Um, they typically have their product out on their ice um, at the fishmonger counter. But if you if you actually pay attention, the the oysters, clams, mussels, whatever, everything is sitting on top of the ice. Um, now that stuff actually needs to be buried under the ice uh, to keep them cold. So now your oysters are sitting on top of the ice at you know 18 degree temperature or 20 degree, whatever the grocery store you know room temperature is, sitting out at room temperature from eight, seven, nine, whenever time they open until whenever they close. Typically, people go in for oysters around dinner time so that they, you know they want fresh oysters. They go in, they get their fresh oysters, they take them home, and the quality is not always the best. So my two cents is you go into the grocery store, there's a great deal on oysters. All oysters are really good. Uh, just ask for them out of the fridge. Just be like, hey, we want to get you know uh, this 18-pack of oysters. Would you mind if we took uh, an 18-pack from your fridge? Because that way you know that they're, they're kept between 0 and 4 degrees, which is the temperature that they need to be stored at and held at. And then you can go home and enjoy your oysters. What an um, amazing piece of advice to end off on. Yeah. What an amazing piece of advice. I feel like I learned a lot today. Thank you so much, David and Kat. Thank you for having us. Yeah, be sure to check out Maisie's Pearl on Barton Street. Restaurant open about a month old now. Congratulations for that. And I can't wait to have some dinner here. Maroki, it really hurts my heart a little bit that you, off the top of the show, talked about the stress that come over the holidays. So my Christmas wish for you is that you have a pleasant holiday with your family with as little stress as possible. No, I appreciate that, Andre, but I think it's part and parcel. Like, I I would say that I think for all of us, no matter how much we love the holidays, it probably is filled with some sort of stress. Even if it's good stress, there's some sort of stress. And that's the thing. Good 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 stress is still stress, but good stress is at least... Good stress. Like, there's usually good stress comes with a payoff when it's done. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's stressful planning all the holiday dinners or the family outings or coordinating multiple people's itineraries. It's probably stressful for anyone out there right now who's scrambling to find the last minute gift. But 
there is an incredible amount of satisfaction when it's finally done bow tied and we all know we are looking forward to the delights on their faces when they open up their packaging to discover another corkscrew. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the new year. We already have our first interview already lined up, and it's a big one. Mm-hmm. We recorded it uh, late last year, but it's nice to know we've already got one in the can because, um, I mean, we always preach drinking responsibly, but there's a good chance there'll be small hangover on New Year's Day because I've got a good stock of magnums, as I said in this podcast. Yes, yes. Well, I, I'm super excited to go into podcast in the new year, and I really want to extend a thank you to everyone who has jumped on board with us and fall, listen to our podcast again if you if you enjoy our podcast p- please uh, leave a review and leave us five stars and subscribe it means the world to us we super appreciate it we have cool stuff coming up in the new year if you have ideas on what we should be covering drop us a line on both of our instagrams uh, andre at andre wine review and myself at nine ounces please always want to know what we should be covering or maybe something we're missing that you have eyes on I know we'll be talking a little bit about a bakery opening in Hamilton at some point in the new year, but ah, I can't to... quite put my finger yeah, on yeah. why that's going to be a big deal. <laughs> Andre has a fortune teller ball and he knows what's coming down. That's going to be hot and great in Hamilton. All right, we are signing off now so that Andre can rescue his baby from or rescue his Christmas tree from the baby.